go to Colossians 1. We're going to start in 1 1, the very beginning. And we are going to um, discuss this, this whole chapter is really about retaining and encouraging the brethren and sisters that have already come to Christ. Um, they're facing um, a type of Gnosticism and um, other, other Jewish um, traditions that were happening, and, and Paul's addressing these things from prison in Rome. And um, so that is a big piece of what we're going to talk about tonight, is the retainment and encouragement of fellow believers. And we're also going to talk a little bit about trains. And then in the end, we're going to talk about some of the resolutions that are uh, popular. So uh, here we go. If we go ahead and start in um, Colossians 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Coloss, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Verse 3, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Let's make this personal. Texas, New York, Idaho, and everybody in between, we pray for you. And you should be praying for, you know, let's just take, for example, Texas should be praying for California and Idaho and New York. Um, because we are separate, we're in different geographies, and prayer is powerful. You don't necessarily need to be in front of the people you're talking with. You can pray for them. And we're going to talk about a gift in a minute here, a special gift of praying for people that is very powerful. But um, So when we pray for you, Texas, New York, Idaho, and others, um, because we've heard of your faith, verse 4, in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epheras, um, or Pastor Joe, or another teacher, uh, our dear fellow servant, uh, who, is faithful, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So praise the Lord for our brothers and sisters in other geographies around the world. We're praying for you, and this is awesome. So verse 9, for this reason... Okay, what reason is that? The reason is verse 4. You go back to verse 4. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. So for that reason, we move on now to verse 9 here. Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. I, I get a kick out of that because Paul was in jail. He was serving time. He had all the time in the world. He was able to pray for you constantly. And that makes it a little tricky for us because we don't have all the time in the world. We have uh, jobs and all kinds of things that distract us and push us around and take up our time. Um, so, but we need to make time. We need to find a balance in the two. 
It's not on or off. It's not all or the other. We need to find a balance, and we do need to work on trying to pray as much as we possibly can. And um, so I ask you, um, are some of you still looking for resolutions, like a New Year's resolution? Some people don't believe in them. Some do. Some like them. Some, some are just good ideas. They're not necessarily resolutions. Um, do you want to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ? I think you do. Um, want to give them a secret gift. Now, that secret gift I'm talking about is when you pray for Texas, you don't know how the Lord is going to work in that congregation or in whoever's heading up um, a getting together or any of those things. The Lord is going to hear your request as he heard Paul's request when he was praying for Corinthians or Galatians, you know, all over, you know, distances away. Um, we make these prayers and the Lord hears them and the Lord delivers in Texas or Idaho or wherever he wants to deliver them that you're praying for. So that's a secret gift. And people don't know you're praying for them. They don't understand why, wow, man, today was just such a radical blessing day. Things went so smooth or you know, I had this opportunity to talk to somebody or whatever it might be. It could have been because you were praying for that region. So, or for that group, I should say. So that's a secret gift. That's the secret gift I'm talking about. Um, so I had to change some of the pronouns in these next verses to make this a, uh, a resolution, if you will, or a, a strong suggestion. So um, a little further in verse 9 here, um, it says, uh, we, but we need to change that to you. You continually ask God to fulfill others with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Verse 10, so that they may live a life worthy of the Lord and praise him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that they may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified them to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, just back up just a little bit here in 13, it says dominion of darkness. Darkness and light were often tied together, and good and evil were always often tied together. In this particular case, darkness being evil was tied together with the kingdom of the Son, who he loves, as is the good. So I, I like that. Okay, so let's go on. Um, we're going to go into, here's a little commentary that I have. Uh, you can have head knowledge or experiential knowledge Neither is fully useful without the Holy Spirit. Right? You may have some good ideas. You may know the word. You may just know a lot. You might be a real smart person. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit guiding you and directing you and recalling to your memory what he wants you to regurgitate and say, then you're kind of working on your own. So be careful with your head knowledge. The Holy Spirit recalls from your memory what it wants, when it wants, to accomplish what it wants. Uh, when were apostles filled with the Holy Spirit? 
when they wanted or when God Almighty wanted them to be filled. Zechariah, Simeon, John the Baptist, Jesus, the apostles at Pentecost, at these times were filled with the Holy Spirit, with the exception of John. They were filled because they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. Right? They're Pentecost. What were they doing at Pentecost when, they, when the Holy Spirit came upon them? They were all in a room praying. They were all seeking the Lord. And they had no idea the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them. The Lord's like, you know what you're doing what I want you to do? I've got plans for you guys. You're going to go out and you're going to speak in, in, in your native tongue and you're going to speak to all these other people in their native tongue through your own native tongue, which is physically impossible. But because of the Spirit, I'm going to, you're going to do that. And you don't know you're going to do that because you don't know you're going to get the Spirit and be empowered to do such things. But they were just doing what they were told. They were just doing what they were supposed to be doing. And the Lord took it from there. And we need to remember that, you guys. We need to do what the Lord wants us to do. And if he wants to empower us with his spirit to go further and do more powerful things, that is completely up to him. I'm going to touch on that in a little bit later. Um, so if you seek the Lord and are doing his will, you could be empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is up to God alone to grant his spirit on whom he wishes. Amen. Um, okay, now verse 15, Colossians 1.15, is a reminder of a, another scripture. It's a reminder of John 1.1. 1, 1. John 1.1 1, 1 is a much more elaborate um, expose on um, Jesus being God. And so 15 is like a reminder, and it's a second time of stating that Jesus is literally God. And it's, uh, verse 15 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Verse 16, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So, praise the Lord for that. That's awesome. Love hearing that. Now, verse... Um, we're going to keep moving here, because I'm going to come back to verse 17 here at the end of this. So, um, Okay, so now verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church... He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So Jesus is God, and he died to take away your sins. Verse 21 Verse 21 has a, a nice explanation that I like here. Um, so I'll read, the, I'll read the scripture and then I'll read the explanation. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. The garden. Evil behavior is recognized in your own mind by default. Okay, so, that, okay, so that's what I was saying. Um, so verse 20 says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Which is such a powerful statement. It, that is, if you just take that one sentence there, it's pretty gnarly. Um, 
So once, you're, once you were alienated from God, just pause there for a second and then look, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. So your evil behavior made you an enemy in your own mind of God. You do it to yourself. Your evil behavior, isn't that a trip how it works? It's not like God is saying, you idiot. It is you doing evil and saying, because I'm doing evil, God is my enemy. Isn't that a trip? I mean, it fascinates me, that little sentence. Um, It is just fascinating. Okay, so 21, the commentary on that is, uh, the work of Christ will overthrow the damage affected by the fall and change all of creation from a position of enmity to a relationship of peace and friendship. Um, Then I wrote here, the garden, evil behavior is recognized in your own mind, and by default, you have made yourself an enemy. I'm doing bad things. He's good, so he won't hang out. Speaking of God, I'm doing bad things, so God won't hang out with me. But now, okay, so anyhow, that's, that's the end of my commentary there. So it just trips me out that your evil behavior makes, in your own mind, you an enemy of God. So let's see here. So now verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. Why? Why did he do that? To present you holy in his sight. That's awesome. That's great news. Without blemish and free from accusation. Now here's the catch. A little bit of a catch here. If you continue in your faith, establish and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. You got to hang in there. It's not one and done. Hate to say it. It's not one and done. It's not, hey, I got baptized when I was eight and I'm a Christian and I'm done. That's just not the case, you guys. You need to, you need to uh, continue in your face, establish and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. Okay, now it gets a little, you know, like Paul, flesh. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking um, in regard to Christ's affliction. So um, I've got a little commentary on that that I like verse, uh, on verse 24 here. And uh, that is, in this verse, Paul is not saying that Christ's death was insufficient or that somehow he was a uh, core deemer. Am I reading that right? Core-deemer. That he was a core-deemer. Oh, co-deemer. Oh, co-redeemer. There we go. Sorry. Um, Or that somehow he was a co-redeemer with Christ. Paul is making the point that a Christian will endure the sufferings that Christ would be enduring if he were still in the world. So I like that explanation. It makes it, it brings it to life and it makes more sense out of that. Um, Okay, so now... Uh, verse 25, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to present to you the word of God in its fullness. 
Verse 26, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Awesome. All those revelation, um, God in his, in his fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden, um, it's all been disclosed. And what is that big mystery and all the stuff that's being disclosed to us? Christ in you. Awesome. Seems almost too simple, doesn't it? Verse 28. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature. King James says, perfect. In Christ, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Okay, now this last little piece, verse 28, is very important to, about where we're going to go next. Where we're going next is, um, we're going to back up a little bit, but I just want to just reiterate for a second here, because it is very important, that... Okay, verse 20, we're going to read it again. I want to just reiterate. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Okay, that's pretty powerful. We're talking some big words there. You know, big words, everyone, all. Um, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Very important, all wisdom. Like, as much as I can teach you, I'm going to teach you. So that we may present everyone fully mature, or that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Why is it so important for Paul to present all these people perfect? Immature, with all knowledge. Why is this so important? He goes on to say, To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Like, this is like all chips in, you guys. It's like everything. Paul's like, this is so important that you guys are mature and that you are perfect and that you know the Lord. And here's why. We're going to back up to uh, 17, verse 17. And in verse 17 we read, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now that is NIV, all things hold together. In the King James, or New King James, it says, it says the exact same thing, but the last word changes. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Okay? All things consist versus um, all things hold together. Okay? Two differences. Hold together and consist. Two different endings to the same scripture. Now, interestingly enough, the word consist um, as a verb simply means to, it means be composed or made up of. Right? Okay? Pretty straightforward. Here's where it gets, I just love this. It just tripped my brain when I saw this. As a noun, a consist as a noun, the word consist as a noun, is a set of railroad vehicles forming a complete train. Huh, that's interesting. I thought that's pretty awesome. So I'm thinking to myself, a consist is a complete train. It's the engine, it's the cars, it's the caboose, and... 
What do trains do? They kind of run one direction. They just go. And I was thinking, let's just take it. It's, a, it's, it's your life. It's just, let's assimilate your, your, yourself or someone's life to a train. And let's just say it starts on the West Coast, starts in Santa Monica at the beach. And it's going to go east. And it sees the beautiful ocean. It goes, you know, it's traveling east, going, I don't know, 20 miles an hour, let's say. And it is going to continue to move east for a long, long, long time. It's going to go see some deserts. It's going to go through, like, southern Rocky Mountains. Um, it's going to go through the Great Plains. And this person's life is going to see some things, you know. You're going to have some life. Um, and then eventually, our life comes to an end. It's going to hit the Atlantic Ocean. It's going to go in, and that life of that train is going to end. Now, now, that, we've, now that we've assimilated lives and trains, the thing that hit me, the thing that hit me, was in the ex- explanation just under the description of a consist as a noun, it said, I quote, to turn an entire consist requires a Y, W-Y-E. So let me just, let that sink in for a second. Just think about that. To turn an entire consist requires a Y. So to turn an entire train around requires a Y. And it just struck me. Why in the world do non-believers that are this train heading east need to turn around? They need a why. They need a why to turn around. And we Christians need to be perfect. We need to be mature. We need to be these examples to the world to be the why. That guy is just easygoing. He's a Christian. He doesn't get mad. He is so nice. That's a why. That's a why I would want to turn my life around. And I need a why. I need someone to show me as a, as a, as a lost person um, a reason for me to change my life. Because, heck, you know what? Some of, a lot of people, sex, drugs, and rock and roll are just fine. My life is just fine. It's, I'm going down the, I'm having a good time. And I don't want to turn my life around. But when someone sees a really good why... They might want to change or turn their life around. Um, we need to be wise, you guys. We need to be a W-Y-E's. We need to give W-H-Y's to people. Um, I wanted to touch on, uh, you know, when I was thinking, you know, people are just cruising along through life and they're happy with their, uh, you know, basically... I was thinking, what's the epitome of like, people's lifestyles that are just kind of going any direction they want to go? And it is, you know, it kind of coined up with uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And, um, man, I can't find it. Um, I found, it was a German stating, a, a German, um, where it was first coined. It's not clear who coined the phrase, but it is most likely originated in a German song lyric and was in print in the 1770s. Wer Nick lieb wine, it's German, sorry. In English translation, it says, who does not love wine, women, and song remains a fool his whole life long. So that is a lot of people that are 
You know, there's a lot of people out there that are running that lifestyle that are just, they're going in a direction. They're living life. Yeah, they're getting up in the morning. They're, they're doing their thing and they are living life. They're just a train headed east. What did Jesus say? He said, I didn't come to just give you life. I came to give you life more abundantly. So people are just going to be cruising along, living, but they're kind of just dead. You know, I mean, they're just not living life to the fullest because they're not, they're not having a relationship with the, with the Father who made them to be a relationship with him. And so we need to be able to reach out to the lost and be an example, you guys. We need to be perfect. Not perfect, but we need to, we need to strive to be, well, it does say to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. I mean, that's what we want. And we can't do it ourselves, of course. We're humans and we're sin nature and we mess up. We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, help me to be perfect, as perfect as I can be through your strength. Okay, um, so that's the why. And I want to go into why, <laughs> why, why we want to be wise and don't be why not. Why nots are not good. Um, all right, let's see here. So we have, I've got a new printer, and it didn't print in red. Um, so let's see here. Wise. Why should I be a Christian? Is it going to make me rich? No. I'm happy. I'm content. I'm free of shame. I'm free to do what I want. Um, you know, one more note on we as Christians reaching the lost, um, being a, a good why. Um, we were back east. My wife and I were visiting our, uh, our kids, two of our kids and our two granddaughters. And um, Heidi took Maddie, Madeline, to the bathroom. And there was a young lady in there who was clearly a drug addict, um, looked horrible, looked scary, just, just, poor girl was just lost. And, you know, when you have your little two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter who's just so sweet, she loves to say, hi, hi. It's like her favorite thing to say, hi. Hi, Maddie, hi. Um, when you have your young granddaughter, you want to kind of shelter her from these things. You don't, yeah, you don't want her to, you know, admire or, you know, some along those lines, um, someone like that. Um, so you, you try to shelter. So Heidi's trying to get things done and, and get her out of there. And um, sure enough, Maddie has to say to that girl, because it's a fairly small bathroom, um, hi. And the girl says back, hi. And um, you know what? It totally convicted Heidi. She was so convicted. She had to come back and tell me, honey, I, I was like, tr like trying to like just put this girl out of my vision. I didn't want to, you know, she just, it was just, you know, and, and I felt so bad because I was not being Christ-like in my ways. I was judging her by the way she looked. And it was awesome. And I hope that that penetrates you too because it, it hit me and I hope it hits you that, and I'm guilty of it. I'll tell you right now, I am guilty of it. I see some people and I just think, man, I just don't want to deal with it. Um, it's not going to go anywhere, or it's, 
man, I'm, I'm casting my, my pearl before swine. It's not going to, you know, it's just, nothing's going to happen. But we don't know. We don't know. We really, truly don't know. And um, as hard as it is, try not to judge a book by the cover. Um, just be Christ-like and see them through Christ's eyes and be kind to them and share a word with them by the power of the Spirit. May the Lord help you with that. Um, so let's see here. Um, I almost came to my mind. In my opinion, Uncle Sam stole the saying, I want you for U.S. Army. Jesus coined that concept before earth and time. Join me, join me and together we will rule the galaxy. Sounds impressive, most impressive. However, the question still arises, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his soul? Um, Don't give believers why nots. Don't be, you know, a drunkard or someone screaming at somebody or dropping, you know, foul language. That's a big, why not? I don't want to be a Christian because of that dude. I don't want to be a Christian because that lady is, you know, whatever. I just, don't want to be a Christian. So don't give, Christ, don't give non-believers why nots. Um, when it comes to witnessing to people, um, it, it just, the little story came to mind. And that is um, in, in football, um, an offensive lineman, as an offensive lineman, you have rules. For example, in a veer formation, your rule is man on, which is the guy between your shoulders. Anywhere, he can be anywhere in f- between your shoulders. That's a man on. Man down is the guy uh, uh, towards the zero uh, or towards the center. If he's down on your guard, then he's your guy you're going to hit. And if there's neither one of those, then you have your linebacker downfield. And those were your three rules in a veer formation. And um, so as an offensive player, you have got rules. You need to obey those rules. You have a snap count. Um, If you go on one and it counts on two, your whole team is going to get penalized. Uh, You cannot use your hands as an offensive lineman. Why do I bring all this up? Because on defense, you can do just about anything. You can use your hands. When the ball goes, you go, and you got one rule. Get the ball. Whether it's quarterback or running back or whoever's got the ball, you go after him. Straightforward. Um, now, as an offensive tackle, you may score a touchdown, your team, may score a touchdown or lose yardage. That is entirely up to the Father in heaven. You throw the seeds of salvation and eternal life, and he makes the increase. This is why it is critical to be readily available to make an accurate argument for the Lord that he might fill you with his spirit and use you for his glory. Um, I say all that because when you're going to go engage somebody for the Lord, be prepared. You know, you've got to um, get in a huddle. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm associating a huddle with praying. Huddle up with your, with your Lord and Savior. Jesus, Father, we, we're, you know, we're going to go do this play here. I see this guy over here. He needs some help. And um, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Empower me to do it. And break. And you go do it. And you got to go do exactly what I want you to do. He's the quarterback. Jesus is our quarterback. And he calls the play. And you've got to execute it the way he wants you to execute it. Right? Okay, so... 
Now, um, as we're speaking about don't give believers why not, I'm going to go over three, it's actually four, um, four reasons people don't like Christians. It's written by uh, Carrie Newoff, and it starts off with judging. Number one thing, people, non-believers, don't like to be judged. And it goes on to say that um, very few people get judged into change, into life change. Very few people get judged into life change. Far more get loved into it. I agree. Um, if I'm judging someone, I'm not loving them. In most cases, that's true. When you're talking about a non-believer and a believer. Different between believer to believer. Uh, you can't judge someone and love them at the same time. In John 8.10, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No. No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. Man, that is awesome grace. Awesome grace. And that's hard to do. <laughs> awesome. Um, next, this number two, is hypocrite. There's a word for Christians who say one thing and do another. The word is hypocrite. I remember way back when, when DC Talk was popular, way back when, um, uh, Jesus Freak, that was the name of the album. In between songs, there was a, a little clip that they put together. Just a, it wasn't a song, just a little clip, just a little speech. And that little speech said, the greatest single cause of atheism. This is all it said. It just said this. There was no prelude. There was no nothing. It just flat out between two songs said, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. I love I mean, it. hit me. It was like so powerful. Um, I hope it hits you. I hope that really impacts you. I hope you really hear that. Um, I was at a Christmas party. Heidi and I were at a um, New Year's Eve party, gosh, 15 years ago. And um, we didn't drink. And um, I had met this guy, Tom Brewer, a couple times before that at work. And he happened to be there. I had no idea he was going to be there. And um, he calls me the next day. He was there and he was drinking. He was a Christian. And he calls me the next day and he says, hey, you're a Christian, aren't you? I said, yeah. I said, what makes you say that? He says, you weren't drinking last night. I said, really? I mean, that's all it took? Oh, man, yeah, well, I'm calling you. Anyhow, long story short, by not drinking that night, he recognized that I was a Christian. And uh, praise the Lord for that. And who knows how the Lord used that to minister to him and to minister to everybody else that was there. Um, okay, so... Um, I'm just going to throw this out there. I, I don't like it. I kind of don't like it, but it, I, I just want to just, I don't know, kind of just pick at everybody a little bit about being hypocritical. It's so important that we are not hypocritical. It's so important. It is far easier to call someone else a hypocrite than it is to admit you're one. I know it hurts, so don't be one. Seriously, it's that bad. You can't be a why not. You need to be a why. Number three, Huh. Christians stink at friendship. 
Understand what she said. Um, perhaps the first obstacle between non-Christians and Christians is that, they, is that relatively few Christians actively pursue meaningful relationships with people who don't share their faith. Hate to say it, a lot of truth in that. Much as we try, I mean, it's, it's so much easier to hang out with like-minded people, isn't it? It is absolutely easier to hang out with like-minded people. But we need to work on that, you guys, because the lost need our Lord and Savior. Um, so I just followed that up with 1 Corinthians 9.19. Though I, um, this is Paul. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am free, not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. And to win the weak. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. All right, so that was three. Three reasons people don't like Christians. Now this is a list of ten non-believers' perceptions of why not to believe. We believers need to overcome them in explanation. We need to explain these things. Some of these things are going to come up. We need to be prepared we need to be mature, and we need to be perfect in the Lord and be able to explain these things. If we get the opportunity for these, one of these things to be thrown at us, we can explain it back. So um, I'm going to go through them kind of fast. I don't want to like refute every one of them, but I just, I, I just don't feel right just saying these things and not having some kind of a comeback to them because it's, hmm, it's, it's, it is bothersome because it's, it's so not true. I mean, it, the, it's, like I said, it's a perception, you guys. It's very much a perception. And that's the issue with perception is it's just how they perceive it. It doesn't mean it's true. Uh, number one, there is no scientific evidence whatsoever of any miracles ever actually occurring. First thing that comes to mind is the Red Sea, the chariots in the bottom of the Red Sea. Proof that there was, I mean, why would there be chariots in the bottom of the Red Sea? That's just a... A, an example and take it from there. Number two, uh, the Jesus story just is an, accu uh, an accumulation of myths of legendary people all rolled into one uber nice guy. Now the only thing I saw interesting in this was the word uber. I'm like, huh, uber cars, uber, hmm, what that means exactly. Um, uber means um, denoting an outstanding or supreme example of a particular kind of person thing. That's all I have to say about that, number two. Okay, number three. Science and faith are incompatible ways of thinking, separate realms that should be kept separate. <laughs> Hebrews 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the agents were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Science. What's the definition of science? The intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systematic study of the structure 
and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experiment. And my one little comment is this. Yet we have the molecule and the solar system. Basically, one is larger than the other. If that doesn't trip you, smallest thing and one of the biggest things we know of are almost identical. It's awesome. There is a, there is a uh, designer. There is a God for sure. Um, let's see, we're number four. The history of science is the story. Nope, we read that one. Number five. The Bible is translated is a translation of a translation of tales cobbled together by Constantine in 300 A.D. Whatever. We have the Dead Sea Scrolls that came you know, right out of. Um, I mean, literally, like the whole Isaiah. I mean, there's so much scripture that is like literally from the time. And there's so many documents that are like identical in verbiage. Thousands and thousands of manuscripts that are identical in verbiage. That's just crazy. You know, they say stuff like this. It is absolute perception. It's just a lie. These are just lies that Satan puts out there to keep people distracted from saying the word of God is true. And we need to expose it and love people and help them through it. Number six, St. Paul invented Christianity by making a nice rabbi named Jesus into a god. Hmm. Ha, I thought that was the funniest one of them all. Because a nice rabbi who blinded him, he admitted it was Jesus that blinded him, wrote to Damascus. Um, I'd like to create a story that lands me in jail and gets me beaten almost to death and zero worldly gain. What a clever guy Paul was. Number seven, evolution disproves God. Really? Everything came from nothing disproves God. Number eight, in their arrogant superiority, Christians think everybody else is going to burn in hell for all eternity. All I have to say about that is the creator himself decides who goes where. Number nine, the Bible is riddled with contradictions and therefore cannot be the perfect word of God. Simply not true. Number 10, more people have been killed in the name of religion than any other cause in the history of the world. What I have to say about that is, on the flip side, more peace has been given by Christ than terrors of war have terrified. Thank you, Jesus. Um, in Hitler's eyes, Christianity was a religion fit only for slaves. He detested its ethics in particular. Its teachings, he declared, was a rebellion against the natural law of selection by struggle and the survival of the fittest. Who said that? Darwin said that. Um, and that was written by Alan Bullock. British historian Richard Overy, biographer of Hitler, sees Hitler as having been a skeptic of religion. Both Stalin and Hitler wanted a neutered religion, subservient to the state. While the slow program of scientific revelation destroyed the foundation of religious myth, Overy writes of Hitler as skeptical of all religious belief, but politically prudent enough not to trumpet his scientific views publicly partly in order to maintain the distinction between his own movement and the godlessness of Soviet communism. I want to back up. Stalin and Hitler wanted a neutered religion. They wanted to fix the religion and make it subservient to the state. Now, if this religion is subservient to the state, who is the controller? 
the state would be. The chancellors, the presidents, whoever ran the state, the governors, <laughs> that would be the god of that religion if they were to be subservient to the state. Ah, oh, trips me out. Um, okay, so let's see here. New Year's resolutions. I'm running out of time here, and I'm going to read. Man, I'm going to read the. I'm going to read the funny ones first. All right, everybody, cool with that? I was going to do it the other way around. I'm going to do the funny ones first, and the funny ones are the secular ones. They're just funny. Number one, exercise more. Uh, number two, read more. Number three, lose weight. <laughs> uh, number four, get organized. What does that mean? Uh, number five, live life to the fullest. And I comment saying, but spend less money. Jesus said, I came that you may have life more abundantly. Um, now, number six is save more money, spend less money. That's why I said, Live life to the fullest. It just trips me out. Live life to the fullest. And the very next one is save more money, spend less money. And then right after that, it says, number seven, spend more time with family and friends. And then number eight is travel more. How are you going to spend more time with family and friends if you're traveling more? <laughs> uh, travel more costs money, too, if I'm not mistaken, unless you're walking or riding a bike. Um, will traveling more help you save money? Quit smoking. That'll help you save money. That's number nine. And then number 10 is learn a new skill or hobby. Maybe like sailing, which is going to cost you money and time. It just cracks me up. I mean, those, that, those are 2020 New Year's resolutions. Top 10 2020 New Year's resolutions um, for the secular world. And I just found it. I just thought that was just straight funny. Um, okay, so let's see. So number, uh, now this is a Christian top 20. And some of them are, you know, a little... Uh, legalistic, um, but some of them are pretty good. So if you got a pen and paper, you might want to you might want to write one or two of these down, or maybe even more, because they're not. There's quite a few in there that are not bad ideas. Um, so number one, read your Bible 20 minutes a day every day. Okay. Uh, number two, go to church every week without fail. Number three, set aside 15 minutes each day to pray. Number four, join a Bible study. Number five, try fasting. Number six, ask a friend to church. It's a good one. Try fasting, ask a friend to church, join a Bible study. Those are three strong ones so far. The other ones are strong too, don't get me wrong, but they jump out at me. Um, number seven, begin volunteering. Good one. If you haven't done it, try it. Lord needs workers for sure. Number eight, start tithing. If you're not already, you should be. You should be giving the Lord what is his. Giving your offering. Lord blesses you. Uh, let's see here. Number nine, read a certain number of Christian books each month. I personally don't like that. If you're going to spend time reading, I think you should be in the Word. My personal opinion. Number 10, memorize Scripture. I think that's excellent. Memorize Scripture. Number 11, 
Forgive past grudges. Hmm. That can be tough. Forgive past judges. You know, think about that for a little bit. Yes, we're on number 10. Do you see what a difference there is between the worldly top, you know, ideas of um, good ideas versus, you know, godly? It's a trip. I mean, they're so, they're so, this is so deep. This list is deep and wide and lovely and beautiful. The other one was just so selfish, just so, uh, just nothing. Um, number 12, break an addiction. Number 13, find a mentor or accountability partner. Number 14, be a more loving, involved wife or husband, mother or father or friend. Be more loving. Number 15, be content with what you have. Whew. That might be on my list. Uh, number 16, keep the Sabbath. Relax a little. Reflect on what the Lord's done for you. Not a bad idea. Lord rested on the seventh day. Number 17, refuse to gossip. Number 18, listen to Christian music, i.e. Keith Green, LOL. Number 19, stop complaining. Number 20, do random acts of kindness. And then number 21 is my own personal. Memorize the books of the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament. And there was one comment at the bottom that I liked of those 20. And it was, all these things are great, but abide, abide, abide in Jesus. Totally agree. All these things are great, but if you're not abiding in the Lord, you work on your own strength and you are... See how long it lasts. So ask the Lord to help you with these things. And if they are pleasing in his sight, he'll help you accomplish them. If they're not pleasing in his sight, he will help you dismiss them. All right, you guys, I think that is it. Yep, sure is. Okay, so let's go ahead and close in prayer and um, call tonight. Heavenly Father.